everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. With just a new brand or just really establishing any market space as a whole for a new brand, you're going to go much wider. You're going to have to go much shallower with the content that wants to engage right off the bat because you're trying to drive overall impressions and touch points and just top of mind awareness for that new product line or new brand. And you're going to have to go a little bit wider spread with your focus on and in your tactics that you're employing and really going true top of funnel brand awareness. drink kombucha? Do you even know what kombucha is? Don't worry if the answer is no. You have plenty of company. In fact, various sources have put the awareness of kombucha at less than 50% for certain age demographics. Nevertheless, kombucha is big business. We're talking a multi-billion dollar market, and HealthAid is right in the thick of the hunt for a slice of the pie. HealthAid was created in a one-bedroom apartment when the founders were looking to create a product to regrow hair with the fermented tea's living culture. The kombucha liquid was just a byproduct. But after getting an offer to sell the kombucha at a local farmer's market, they jumped at the chance. HealthAid now generates more than $100 million in retail sales and is sold in 30,000 stores. But just like any brand in an emerging market, the company is looking for ways to grow even bigger. Enter Calvin Lammers, the VP of e-commerce for HealthAid. Calvin joined HealthAid after cutting his teeth at some of the biggest healthy CPG brands on the market, Kind, Buy, and Spindrift, where he launched a number of new products and elevated their e-commerce operations to new heights. But when he entered the world of kombucha, he had his work cut out for him. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Calvin talks through how he not only had to develop and execute content to help educate a consumer base, but also how he had to build an entire e-commerce department from scratch. He gives advice to other brands who are facing similar struggles, including what to focus on when building an e-commerce team and what metrics to hone in on in the early days. Plus, he discusses why it's important to have a holistic view of the customer journey. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hi, everyone. It's Stephanie. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie Postles and you're listening to Up Next in Commerce. Today on the show, we have Calvin Lammers, the VP of e-commerce at HealthAid. Calvin, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I was looking through your background and you have worked at some of the hottest healthy CPG brands. Uh, I was looking at Kind and Buy and Spindrift most recently. And so I feel like you have a lot of good knowledge and you're a veteran 
in the e-commerce world. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, knock on wood. Yeah, thankfully I've been able to be a part of uh, some, some really great brands, and it, I mean it's been fascinating. Um, you know, from a personal level, uh, it's also been helpful from just a, a selfish uh, consumer level, as I've been able to uh, enjoy some some really good products as well while working for these companies. So I think it's definitely uh, shifted my my taste buds. Uh, I think for the better. <laughs> yes, that's great. Yeah, I just started recently enjoying Spindrifts, and my two and a half year old wants one every day now. I'm like, this might be a bad habit. <laughs> I formed. This is so such a California kid wanting his sparkling beverage every day. <laughs> that's amazing. I know that's I, I definitely got my my niece and nephews uh, hooked on Spindrift, and so uh, it's it's always funny uh, whenever my, my my family send me photos of the kids uh, taking a, a big sip of Spindrift. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, you understand then. So with all this uh, all this great background you have, like, how did you land on this e commerce path? Like, how did you first get involved and know this is what you wanted to do? So yeah, I mean it's it's definitely been a journey. Um, you know, even even just 2020, obviously uh, as a whole, but uh, even just getting to this point, um, uh, it's interesting because I always like to say that there's no one you know linear path to e-commerce. I feel like everybody I talk to that's been in the space for a while or even new to the space, they've had a different journey in my mind. So different. So um, you know, going way back when I uh, you know graduated from college and uh, um, was in the Midwest in, in Minneapolis and. Worked at Target headquarters. It's a, you know, obviously new Target, new, new and loved it. Thought that would be a great opportunity. So worked in, in you know the snacks department there for a while. Um, realized you know not quite for me. You know too corporate, very big company. Um, and wanted a uh, and also was in mid, the Midwest for a while. So wanted to change your pace. So um, was looking to get out to New York and, and looking for retail related jobs. And happened upon this uh, startup or newer company called Quidzy, which Amazon had had just acquired right as I joined. They, you know, had multiple uh, e-commerce sites, you know, they had diapers.com, soap.com, uh, and a few others. But, you know, obviously, I was familiar with Amazon at the time, still pretty early in the journey, but was familiar generally with it, but had never worked at e-commerce, at an e-commerce company. And, uh, yeah, thankfully, uh, landed the job, um, you know, at, at uh, this Amazon subsidiary and uh, really got my, you know, cut my teeth in the e-commerce space building e-commerce sites, you know, overseeing assortments, uh, you know, overall UX layouts, really just kind of ran the gamut. And I think it was exciting because uh, there was just a lot of what's now proven to be, uh, it was a really good incubation for a lot of great e-commerce minds. Mm -hmm. So Mark Laurie, who's now the CEO of walmart.com, uh, that was his former company before he actually started Jet. Uh, we have an, uh, there were a number of uh, leaders there that you know, either they were at Jet, they uh, started their own e-commerce companies, e-commerce DTC brands, and so yeah, it just was really great learning ground and, and realized I love the entrepreneurial space, the you know, the vibe, and just love that world. You know, and so obviously I was working on the re retailer e-com retailer side, um, and decided to make over the the switch over to the brand. Um, and basically, you know, be that 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 voice and, and leader to build out e-commerce um, on the brand side, and uh, been been doing that uh, basically ever since. And so, as you kind of mentioned uh, earlier, I've been able to, to work at a, at a number of great brands, kind of doing that 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 same thing and uh, building out e-commerce focus uh, and in channel strategies for for the respective brands. That's very cool. So at Quidzy, you're mentioning that you know there's a lot of great leaders there that you got to learn from. What is some of the advice that you remember or that still stays top of mind from some of the people that you learn from there? Because like you're mentioning, yeah. those are, that was a good name there, jet.com. That's great. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of good things that you refer back to every now and then. Absolutely. So I think that the biggest piece of advice, and I, I still, this is how I think I view e-commerce and what I've kind of carried with me is really viewing 
even if it's a category or viewing, even if it's like a certain subcategory on a, on a site, viewing, you know, that or, and as well as e-commerce as a whole and taking ownership and business ownership and really just viewing it as, you know, the, a business leader. So, you know, you might, you know, maybe you're on uh, focused on acquisition, but really having a full view of how it's going to impact the overall business where that's just going to help you work cross-functionally if you're on a team or as a business leader, that's going to you know, really carry through to being more strategic with all of your decisions, all your investments, all of your prioritizations. I, I just really keeping that lens on you know, whatever you're owning at that point in time, I think is crucial. And that's just how I've kind of carried through to at my various stops in my career. Um, and even now, you know, where you know, oversee an uh, entire e-commerce uh, uh, department, it really is a true you know, business unit within the overall company. Since you have you know, your separate operations, you know, many times e-commerce divisions at companies have their own finance department, their, their digital marketing comp- components. So really having that lens, I think, has been helpful for myself. And I think in general, that's just been a, a beneficial way to how I viewed my you know, surroundings and in kind of business, depending on the company that I've been at. Got it. Yeah, I think that's an important reminder about how they are their own business unit. But how do you make sure they don't become a silo? Because I I think I was reading in one of the articles that when you were working at Target, the e-commerce group was like in a separate building and it was like two people or something. And I'm (laughs) like, obviously, that was a long time ago. And that's how a lot of companies started out. But how do you make sure that the team integrates well with the company as a whole and doesn't become, you know, oh, that's just the e-commerce group, like they kind of work on their own? Yeah, no, I mean, and that that is, even even now is still a challenge, I, I would say, but I think it's become less of an issue or challenge or hurdle than it than it was when I was at Target. Um, just again with with the changing views of e-commerce as a whole. But as I said, even still, you know, you still need to work to to be integrated and fully aligned with you know, the cross departments. And so I think that's where that's the other piece is that. That's not always the case. It depends on the company. Some companies have e-commerce as its own business unit. Sometimes it lives in marketing. Sometimes it lives in sales. And so I've had differing experience. Um, but the biggest thing it is, you know, whether you have those individual like responsibilities or, or kind of headcount in the e-commerce department or they live in different departments, it is one of the most cross-functional areas as well for that exact reason, because you're touching operations, you're touching marketing, you're touching finance. So you, there's an innate need to interact and you know, work closely and be involved with each respective areas. Um, so I think that's where it, it really behooves you know, any you know, econ leaders or practitioners that are either starting out or obviously well, well into their careers. You know, really making that effort to both educate in terms of like, you know, why they should be caring about e-commerce, what are the benefit, how will it impact them, how will it impact the broader, you know, company um, and organization, and really just being that that leader and educational, you know, voice, I guess, for, for the company to, to, to gain that buy-in and, and sign on. And I would say that's that's been one of the biggest focuses at, at any company is you know, really making those pitches and, and sell-ins. And then obviously, you know, at the same time, going the extra mile to, to show why it uh, is beneficial for the prospective department leaders to, to work closely with the e-commerce team and, and myself personally. Yeah. So when you're, you're just mentioning around them being a cross-functional team, and when I think about a cross-functional team, I think about a lot of times, and I was one of these back in my <laughs> earlier days, you're not always doing the work, but you're there to kind of coordinate, you know, many yep. groups and bring them together. Whereas an e-commerce, you know, team having to also be a cross-functional team seems tricky. So how do you go about building up a team like that? Like what are some best practices and how do you make sure you hire the right people 
and build up a good team who can do both of those functions? Yes, I think that's uh, it, it, it's definitely something that I, I had re- very recent experience with. So I think a lot of times, and this has been the case um, in, in previous companies as well, where e-commerce was maybe less of a focus for, for a brand or there were, weren't as many resources put into it. Um, the, the company or the headcount was, was on the lower end of the spectrum. So um, you had to be very, very efficient and careful with how you were you know, filling any uh, headcount uh, openings that you had available uh, because that might be the, the only one you get for, for the next year or the net bu- budget cycle. So that it's previously been super important for that reason. But even now, um, you know, as I just joined uh, HealthAid six months ago, when I joined, there was no dedicated e-commerce team. Uh, it was a, there was a shared responsibilities, um, but there was no e-commerce team to speak of. So very quickly had to be mindful with the roles that we were building out and, and filling right off the bat because, you know, again, we were building this essentially from scratch. So had to be very thoughtful and mindful about, okay, over the next two years, what areas of, of responsibility, what departments or what coverage do we need and will that last us for, you know, presumably the last, the next two years, because we need to be hyper efficient and competitive with how we're proving out the success and viability of the channel. So we don't want to overload and, you know, hire a 10 person department um, before we, we break uh, six figures in, in revenue. Yeah. Um, so we want to be very strategic in that. So with that, I think that also kind of goes back to my mindset from Quidzy, where I still very much have that that startup entrepreneurial mindset. So I've worked at companies where I was the only person on the e-commerce team for mm-hmm. you know for a year, and so it's a lot of work. I think it's it's been helpful for myself as I've touched every aspect of the business. And while I don't you know work in it day to day at this point, I have at least that background and knowledge of how everything works. And I think that is really important. For, for e-commerce leaders to be able to speak knowledgeably just about e-commerce fulfillment just as much as they are about e-commerce acquisition or marketing. Um, I think that is hugely important. And so that's been my mindset is hiring people that are not a jack of all trades, but maybe a utility <laughs> knife uh, where they're able to quick learners, able to pick up things very quickly. They have an interest, they're, they're super curious, but that they're, 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 open and willing and wanting to touch multiple things in the business and not having very narrow minds on, oh, that's not my responsibility. Again, going back to having that ownership view uh, carries through to how I view headcount and bringing on new, new team members is I think that that's just hugely important, especially early on as, as you're building out a team. Yep. Yeah. You have to have those scrappy individuals who are ready to treat the company as if it's their own and ready to jump yep. in wherever needed, even if they're on you know a team that isn't maybe relevant to the task. A hundred percent. So let's talk a bit about HealthAid. So I'm a fan of HealthAid. I have been following it for a while. Um, I also just love the story. I mean, I think the CEO was selling it. She started with $600 and she was selling it at Mm -hmm. farmer's markets. And now I think I saw you guys generate over 150 million in revenue and you're in 30,000 or more stores. (laughs) So I want to hear a little bit more about HealthAid. What is it and what drew you to the company? So yeah, no. So obviously, great to hear you're a fan. Uh, I I am myself. I, I I like to say that uh, that's been a very much uh, a part of my my kind of career path and choices where I worked at. You know, wouldn't be joining a company if I didn't really enjoy or love the product, and that that absolutely was the case with HealthAid. Where yeah, uh, thankfully I got connected with with the team here. Um, as I mentioned, they were looking to build out their their e-commerce channel with really no focus or, or kind of you know presence to speak of uh, before I joined. I was a big fan. Um, it's a, a probiotic tea, uh, kombucha um, is our primary you know, product line. That's uh, kind of as you mentioned, your know, founders and in Dyna 
um, where they started out um, a number of years ago. Um, that's really been the key focus for the brand and, and where we've seen most of that growth to, um, you know, that surplus of over a hundred million in, in retail um, sales. We obviously have looked to expand beyond uh, Kombucha and recently we just launched a new product line called Booch Pop, which was a ambient you know, soda made with kombucha. Mm-hmm. And so looking to expand into um, some of these other areas, but really kombucha still is kind of the first and foremost or primary product line for us. And it's been great to see, obviously kombucha as a whole has, has been a huge growth driver and, and really fast growing category. Um, and health aid has really been, you know, the primary contributor to that growth over the last few years. So loved the brand, loved, you know, what it stood for, the, the, the unique challenge. And I think the thing that caused me hesitation was just obviously with the kombucha product, it is cold chain, requires refrigeration. It's also in glass bottles. Mm-hmm. So obviously anybody that knows uh, anything about e-commerce fulfillment, not really the, the easiest things to uh, turn into a viable e-commerce uh, business, yeah. <laughs> you know, right off the bat. So uh, very difficult, very, very challenging, very costly just from an uh, operations standpoint. So that was definitely the, the, uh, the, the biggest uh, hurdle or thing that kind of gave me pause. But always like a challenge. I like to say that every single brand that I worked at, uh, I wanted to make more difficult. Uh, so I've gone from snack bars to uh, refrigerated beverages. So gone from one end of the spectrum to the other, food and beverage space. And that's been a big focus for us in making that a very um, viable channel. And obviously just making sure that our operations and fulfillment um, is a strength for us, you know, <laughs> out of necessity. Yep, yeah, really. I'm definitely going to be diving into the logistics piece in a bit. So be prepared. It seems like <laughs> you choose brands too that, I mean, maybe everyone would say every brand needs convincing, like to convince a buyer to buy it, but you choose brands that aren't very well known. I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about Kind when they came out. I remember when I worked at Google, yep. they started having the bars there, but people still really weren't sure what they were. Same thing with right. Buy, the coconut water and Spindrift more recently. I mean, there were so many sparkling beverages and really yep. convincing someone of like why you don't want that artificial flavor and why you want the real <laughs> stuff. Like, I mean, it seems like you have a pattern here where you're picking like harder and harder things. And now kombucha, I think I was just reading that um, maybe between 20 and 40 year olds, more than 50% still don't know what kombucha is. Yep. I saw that stat somewhere and I'm like, I mean, that's crazy to me. Maybe it's because I'm in California and it seems like everyone here knows what it is, but <laughs> it seems like it's a hard market. How are you going about educating people? Is yeah. that why you chose to do the, you know, the soda route where... It's still kind of kombucha, but maybe might connect with a whole different audience and bring them into the uh, network of kombucha. Yeah, no, and I think that that was a definite thought and, and factor in kind of the development of the, the Boochbop product line in, you know, having multiple ways in for consumers since, yeah, there, there are, you know, it's to this point, you know, there's been, you know, a kombucha, you know, consumer, you know, that's, that's something that we've done, you know, studies on it and had research on it in, in terms of the overall awareness um, and knowledge of kombucha. It is limited. It's still not as mainstream or, or widely known as you, you would think at this point. So that also is impactful to how we're approaching overall messaging and advertising and overall content on digital for us that follows through from everything on our Amazon product pages to our own website, to our email flows, to our SMS marketing, um, to influencers. So it's hugely impactful. And I think that's been a major, major focus for us in the brand in that you know, we, we realize that there still is a huge section of the, the, the population that not only doesn't know healthy, but doesn't know even what kombucha is. And so I think that at the end of the day presents an opportunity 
and I think is what we see um, as the the open lane for us or opportunity for for health aid is you're really being a, a leader you know, in terms of content and education for kombucha and, and gut health overall. And so really you know, making that case and driving you know, home that education piece around what is kombucha, what are prebiotics, what are probiotics, why are they important, what benefits do they actually help, how does that actually lead to overall health and wellness? Because what we've seen is that that benefit is actually, strangely enough, um, unlike most beverage categories or food and beverage categories, taste is actually a second driver. It's actually the health and benefits that is the primary driver that uh, we're focused on. So really making clear why somebody should be incorporating kombucha in, a da- in their daily diets, what are the benefits, and just really driving that home. That's, I think, uh, where we see the opportunity. And so that's, that all relates to content and messaging. And again, you can have the uh, you have a better ability or avenue to do that on digital as opposed to just your traditional retail and on shelf, and you're limited to just the label or the packaging. I think that actually is where it helps brands like HealthAid um, or even start up an emerging uh, brand so you can create more engaging and enticing and interactive content in messaging that really can hit home the messaging and objectives that you're trying to drive, especially as you're building awareness and overall education for the brand or category that you're in. Yeah, I, I think the gut health thing is still new to a lot of people. I mean, my friend the other day just got a test done mm-hmm. to show the bacteria in their gut. And it was like really bad, the test results where she's having to do a whole entire diet, like reset and take a bunch of things out and then reintroduce them and wow. take all these probiotics and stuff. Exactly. It's certainly been an education process for myself because, yeah, certainly I like had obviously somewhat general awareness of gut health and probiotics, but even the amount that I've learned being at, at HealthAid for the last few months, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a very, very important part to, to the overall body. And there's just so many uh, aspects to it that you know, it does require you know, a decent amount of education so that it's, it's a journey that so we also got to bring consumers along it is, as much as I'm going through the, the same journey myself. Yep. So are there different channels that you utilize when you're maybe going the education route and you want to get in front of the new people and educate them on why this is a good product to try out, especially now when they can't maybe test it? I mean, I remember in the early days of HealthAid, there was a lot of, you know, samples at Whole Foods or wherever I would go. That's how it Mm -hmm. came on my radar. But like, what are you doing now to introduce it to people, especially if they can't really try it? Right. Yeah. So I think that's where we have a, a couple of different channels um, that, that we're focused on. So obviously within the e-commerce and digital purview, um, we have our, our, our DTC businesses, we have Amazon, our e-retailers, and then we also have last miles. So you know, obviously on, on e-com, kind of going back to the overall financials and kind of build of, of that business, it gets very difficult to ship individual bottles you know, of kombucha. Just It just you know, overall doesn't work. The, the economics don't work out. So traditionally, we've sold 12 packs, which again, are, are quite a bit of product for a consumer who's new to kombucha or new to health aid and hasn't tried before. So what we've done recently is that uh, we built out some sampler packs, you know, so trying to included a couple of different flavors for um, our different product lines, our base kombucha, as well as our new health aid plus line, which is our kombucha with uh, additional benefits. That's been our primary focus you know, recently in driving new customer acquisition in these sample packs or variety packs. Um, and we've seen some really good responses mixed with that education, which again, via our different channels. So, you know, via paid social, um, you know, we, we've tested out a few different uh, things for, for longer form content and driving to landing pages. Um, and that's worked extremely well where you have you know, some of that you know, initial kind of tidbits or insights that you include in the copy and the messaging with the paid social uh, campaigns. And then driving to the landing page, with which really you know kind of fleshes out more of that storytelling piece. And 
and these are all consideration and you know top of funnel campaigns and tactics and we've seen really really strong responses to that and so that's been super uh super efficient for us and seeing really good res- responses and then at the same time we have our you know delivery partners and last mile partners like an instacart and so with instacart and so these other channels um you can obviously purchase just one bottle so you know been really leveraging you know, the ad platforms and some of these emerging platforms you know, as a way to drive trial where the, the cost of entry or the barrier to entry is a little bit lower just because they're just buying one bottle and so we've been actively um engaging um in in you know working with the instacart ad platform to promote our products on instacart as well and really seeing uh some some huge gains there and see that as a really good opportunity to, to drive trial on individual bottles, you know, when, when sampling is, isn't an option, obviously, currently. All right. So let's talk a bit about launching products. So you have launched a bunch of new products, but also um, like for, you know, the first product maybe in the line versus launching a newer style of product like you just did mm-hmm. uh, with a soda. So tell me about the differences when a brand is just starting out and trying to get the word out there and, you know, putting out their first product or two versus launching something very different like soda, you know, to a market who's maybe expecting just kombucha. Yeah. So I think it really goes back to, I think overall with the, the rollout and, and marketing approach. So obviously with, with just a new brand or just really establishing any, any market space as a whole for, for a new brand, you're going to go much wider. You're going to have to go much, uh, much shallower with the content that you want, want to engage right off the bat because you're trying to drive overall your impressions and touch points and just your know, top of mind awareness for that that new product line or new brand. You're you're going to have to go a little bit wider um, spread with with your focus on and in your tactics that you're employing and and really going true true top of funnel brand awareness as opposed to a new product line. Depending on with Bootstrap, obviously this is going to be similar. Um, or if you're drafting off like a different category, like that kind is probably the best example where kind had its original nut bar line and then came out with the the clusters, then the granola bars, mm-hmm. uh, and came out with a number of different product lines. And so with that, it's a little bit different because once you establish that that brand recall and awareness you're either able to leverage that and target within that specific category, or, you know, I think this, this is the approach that we've done with, with uh, Bootstrap is that even people who might be aware of health aid or, you know, again, maybe they weren't interested in kombucha or they hadn't tried before. We've gotten these responses where it's like, is it too healthy? Like we want to target some, you know, more mass, you know, consumers. We can draft off of that, uh, that brand, you know, persona and establishment and, and cachet and either go super targeted uh, within that and say, okay, these are the specific audiences that we want to target um, and draft and you can leverage that brand cachet. Or uh, if there's just general awareness, the brand can draft and, and go into an entirely new segment or audience, you know, and, and utilize that uh, established brand elements uh, as, as much as you can. Um, obviously finding that right balance and depth that you go is, is the, end of the day, that's the biggest question. But the, the difference that I've seen in my experience and in how um, that's been incorporated due to the rollout for new product lines. And yeah, the, very much uh, a similar story to, to how that played out at, at Kind as well. Yeah, very cool. So let's talk logistics a bit. It was, uh, so you're talking about the cold chain process and you've got glass bottles. What did it look like when you joined and, you know, they want you to build out the e-commerce um, channel, like, mm-hmm. what did that look like behind the scenes? And what were some of the lessons as you've been going about that? 
Yeah, so I think uh, right off the bat, when when I joined, uh, I guess the biggest thing is that we were utilizing, and again, because healthy, like a number of, number of brands, saw um, you know, huge demand and interest in in ecom and in direct consumer um, you know, earlier this year due to the, uh, the the COVID surge. It was a kind of minimal business, but right off the bat, needed to get uh, you know things rolling forward to you know kind of meet the increasing consumer demand. So for the fulfillment itself, you know, really hadn't been a focus for building out, you know, what that actual packaging and, and refrigeration and insulation looked like. So was we were just using um, styrofoam coolers to, to keep the, the, the kombucha cold, um, adding some ice packs and, and shipping to consumers. So, you know, not the most sustainable or eco-friendly option, um, especially as it's increasing volume. So, um, right off the bat, that was a big focus for us is really, you know, finding and implementing an, uh, sustainable and eco-friendly liner and insulation option, which uh, thankfully we were able to get in place pretty quickly you know, when I joined a, a few months ago. And so that was one of the, the, the biggest pushes for us is obviously fitting with our brand and our persona. I uh, wanted to make sure that uh, we were also being very um, sustainable and, and mindful with how we were actually getting product to consumers. So that was the biggest thing right off the bat. Currently, we, we have three different fulfillment uh, warehouses, and so that, that helps us get to um, most consumers uh, in two days, uh, or 95% of the country in two days. But it still poses challenges because there's still the refrigeration requirements. So, you know, that limits the number of days because we don't want a product, obviously, waiting in trucks over the weekend or anything like that. So it limits the number of days that we can actually ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and as consumers, as we know, these days get more and more their expectations for delivery times increases. Um, there's an opportunity to decrease that the, the SLAs and delivery times with our products. And so that's, you know, kind of the current focus is how can we reduce, you know, from two days, even one day or next day delivery, um, especially in key markets. So that that's really, you know, kind of the journey over the last six months that we've been in at. And obviously it's been a lot just in six months and uh, I got a lot more to go here, you know, going into next year. Yeah. And how has the forecasting process been? Because I mean, the world's just been so crazy and, you know, especially leaning into e-commerce right when things are crazy. How do you go about forecasting things so that you, you know, have what you need? You don't go out of stock. You've Mm -hmm. got your variety packs. I mean, it sounds like you brought a lot of new things to the brand, but that's a lot of new challenges that'll come with it. You hit it spot on. So yeah, <laughs> especially we have no historicals, no baseline to go off of. So that's, uh, you know, our, our team has been uh, hyper-focused in, you know, really nailing down uh, and narrowing in that forecast, um, especially if we added new SKUs um, to the mix. Thankfully, our, our warehouse and, and 3PL partners have uh, been super helpful in partnering with us in, you know, maybe overstocking based on previous demand to ensure that we have sufficient inventory, especially if we have an upcoming you know, promotional push or we're, we're kind of leaning more on uh, any of our acquisition campaigns. Thankfully, you know, if we were just going off historicals, obviously the, you know, if we were selling a couple hundred cases uh, a month, a year ago, to then change and then go to you know, a few thousand cases even alone, that, that's a huge increase. So that, that just for first glance, you know, it'd be a very tough selling with a lot of a lot of partners or three PLs that would take the traditional growth and, and forecasting route. So with that, they've been really uh, helpful in um, loading and in carrying more uh, inventory than needed. You know, to to anticipate any increases. But then on top of that, it's really just staying close to the vest and monitoring it, like very very uh, or being very diligent with how we're tracking it. So we built out reporting to track by location by SKU. Uh, on a daily uh, basis, your inventory levels, 
if we see any uh, you know risk, uh, working quickly to turn around uh, shipments to get out the door and get us back in stock. And so it takes a village to say the least. And, and thankfully, it's just, again, having the right partners and really having a team be hyper diligent uh, and stay close to it um, has really made a, a huge difference. Yeah, no, got it. So I'm guessing you have also had a lot of experiences when it comes to figuring out what platform you want to choose or replatforming at the brands that you've been at in the past. How did you do that with mm-hmm. HealthAid and how do you figure out, you know, what platform is going to work and what kind of features you need and how to, you know, make it so it'll convert? Yeah, the platform side has been interesting because even that's evolved pretty extensively. So for me, at the end of the day, you want to have scalability and also enough customization, especially early on, that you can you know, really make the, the full use of uh, any platform. Long term, you want a turnkey platform that, again, can scale you know, integrates well with with most other channels, apps you need, but you don't want a very dedicated or customized CMS um, that will require a lot of heavy lift or work, whether it's on the internal team or an external party. The cost and hours are going to get you know quickly snowball from there. So I think that's where for us again with limited team, our smaller team, uh, and especially early in our, our journey, that customization but scalability is really the the, the biggest piece for us you know, in, in deciding which platform we, we ultimately landed on. Got it. And what kind of metrics are you looking at after you, you know, you've got the platform up, up and running? Like, what kind of things do you look at to make sure things are going well? And how do you mm-hmm. figure out what you want to, you know, A-B test maybe and see how to even optimize it further? Yeah. So, and that's a, that's a big thing for us because not there's obviously there's a couple of components there. So there's the platform A, but then there's the overall site design and architecture. And so that's the biggest piece that we still have in our journey is that, you know, as I mentioned, we previously were on WooCommerce with WordPress as the CMS. And so that's a lot of that is, is you know, legacy, uh, you know, content and pages and, and code that's been built there that we've evolved and tweaked over time uh, before we, we, we had the e-commerce team. So that's where we're making, we're, we're kind of flying the plane as we continue to tweak it and build it. Uh, but really, that's the biggest opportunity is that there's only so much that a platform can do without the actual highly functional, seamless UX uh, experience for consumers, super uh, engaging you know, navigation and content that's still needed in order to best leverage and utilize any whatever platform you end on. And so that's the next piece is so we, we've seen, uh, we, we continually are looking at our conversion rates, our balance rates our time on site, our click-throughs, um, and the time to conversion. And that's really what we're holding as our kind of key key metrics here to measure true success of the, of the website um, before we get into, obviously, you know, consum- consumer journey, lifetime value, and, and things of that nature, just the overall site experience. So that's the biggest thing that we're trying to you know, address and improve now over the next few months, now that we have the right platform is in place. You know, so working with you know, an overall kind of site redesign and site build to really bring you know, our full digital experience um, for the website to match our, our brand persona, you know, and, and really bring that up to speed and make it viable experience for consumers that that really will uh, sustain us, um, you know, long term. Got it. Are there any changes that come to mind that have made the biggest impact around, you know, uh, the consumer journey or seeing those conversions increase, even if it's maybe you know starting to introduce that variety pack? Like, mm-hmm. what do you think the biggest impacts have come from this year? I think site load times, you know, honestly, so it's just like, yeah. yes, it's something as simple as that. You know, obviously, you're know, a second in the digital age or a DTC experience is, is, is a lifetime. So 
that was a big focus just recently, just, you know, reducing uh, page load times, reducing, you know, font sizes, page weight, uh, image weight, uh, you know, all these, all these things, again, just with also impacting how the page are loading, you know, making sure that add to cart buttons are loading first, as opposed to, you know, maybe copy further down the page. So those are, you know, just those small tweaks have, you know, huge impacts just right off the bat. And so that's really what comes to mind right off the bat is just making sure um, the time from uh, landing to checkout is as seamless and as quick as possible because you want to make it as easy for customers to check out and give, you know, as little reasons as possible for consumers to to bounce. And so I think reducing the the page load times has been, you know, crucial as well as testing out, you know, again, just where we're driving new customers too. So we, we've updated our collections pages where we drive a lot of our traffic and just updating the layout and the overall structure, um, adding add to cart buttons on the collections page, again, just to remove another step needed to check out. So those minor tweaks are really what we're focused on now um, until we you know, completely kind of revamp uh, the website as a whole. And thankfully, they, they've made some significant uh, improvements and, and had a marked impact. Very cool. So where do you see the world of e-commerce and, you know, D2C brands headed in the next year or two? It's, yeah, I mean, that's, I, if I had a million dollars and I, I wish I, I could do and bet on that because, yeah, I, I mean, if anybody told me uh, that uh, 2020, we would see uh, e-commerce penetration go from uh, the 5 6% uh, to, uh, I think the last figure that I saw was 11 12% uh, just in, in 2020 alone. Um, yeah, I would have said you're, you're joking. So who, who knows at this point, but I, I, I will say, I don't think we're going back. I think this this is the new standard for consumers. I think that's what I've seen is that you know every consumer or most consumers that that have you know either been forced or or shifted purchase behaviors to uh, online, especially in the grocery space. Since you know food and beverage has still been kind of the lagger in terms of under indexing uh, versus other categories in e-commerce penetration, and that's changed tremendously over this year. So I think that the consumers are going to stick with that uh, that trend. So a lot of consumers that have tried grocery delivery um, for the first time will likely stick with that you know, over the next couple of years. I, th- I think the biggest thing is that it's just gonna, going to become more seamless with, especially on the brand side, with how they view channels, I guess. So instead of having this, this uh, you know, prior mindset where it's like, okay, there's brick and mortar, then there's this e-commerce thing um, and there's separate channels, you need to be mindful of the entire customer journey because yeah, you might have a consumer that, you know, you, you have a, a programmatic ad that they get served with and then they're you know, purchasing in store or they see a programmatic ad and they're purchasing on last delivery um, or maybe they're in store or buying, you know, a pickup order um, or maybe they're ordering via an SMS channel. So I think it's just becoming a more holistic with, um, it's not a matter of like channel separating, but just having a, a true unified vision of that customer journey and approaching that as such uh, as a company and, and a brand. And, and that's very much what we're we're thinking of as, as we're building out our, our collective efforts at, at HealthAid. All right. So what? how are you guys prioritizing retail versus, you know, e-commerce? Like where are you investing right now? Are you kind of pulling back a bit from retail and leaning more into D2C or how are you thinking about that? Yeah, so I think that kind of goes goes in line with um, you know, kind of my previous comments. So we're absolutely still supporting our retail channels, since as I mentioned earlier, that is where the bulk of our business is mm-hmm. uh, currently. But we're also like supporting it. We're changing in how we're activating and supporting those retailers. So you know, maybe 
traditionally or previously, we might be you know, supporting retailers in, in on-shelf or, or kind of POS material. Instead, we're running your targeted, uh, geo-targeted uh, display ads or paid social ads or running uh, programmatic display uh, campaign to support a specific retailer. Um, so just leveraging more digital components as well as you know, supporting you know the the last delivery or last mile uh, platforms like Instacart that still obviously the revenue and, and volume is is being pulled through you know the retail stores. So it's it's definitely not a shift of focus or priority or an investment. It's just a change in terms of how that support is kind of played out, I guess. So that's, I think, really been the biggest change for us. Um, and then on top of that, obviously layering on that support from the e-commerce piece and how that you know, plays into the mix. Since what I've also seen at previous companies and a number of white papers and, and research that I've seen said any any e-commerce advertising or, or you know digital advertising, it will drive e-commerce and it has obviously a huge impact on e-commerce specific sales, but a lot of the impact is actually seen in your traditional brick and mortar or retail sales. And so having that lens and that, you know, if you're spending a dollar for e-commerce advertising, it doesn't mean that entire impact is going to e-com. It is also driving, you know, the overall brand awareness and um, you know, retail sales. Yep. Yeah. Which is definitely a tricky thing to measure and then try and convince maybe leadership yes. sometimes of like it's having brand awareness and it's also yep. driving those retail sales but i can't exactly track it right now <laughs> it's the age old yeah debate so yeah i've been there all too many times it's, yep. uh, that's a fun one all right so with a couple minutes left let's move over to the lightning round the lightning round is brought to you by salesforce commerce cloud this is where i'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer Are you ready calvin all right I, th I think as ready as I'll ever be. So let's do it. All right. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Best piece of advice, I guess, is, again, don't look back. Look, you know, Take ownership and uh, own your mistakes. I think you can't uh, shy away from your mistakes. Just make sure that you don't make them again. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. What's up next on your reading list? Next on my reading list, I would say right now, uh, I actually got um, a book that I, I have been meaning to get to for a while. It's called The Sympathizer. So it's a kind of a historical fiction novel uh, set after the Vietnam War in uh, in, in the U.S. So uh, it's one of those that I've had on my, my list for a while. Uh, and uh, it's about time I finally get to it. Sounds good. I'll have to check that out. What do you not understand today that you wish you did? I would say biggest thing that I understand today that I wish I did was just the impact that e-commerce operations and fulfillment has on a total business. Like I, I, I said this, I think in the past speaking to other people, but if I knew then what I knew now, I would have gone back and got like an MBA in, in you know, logistics and supply chain, just with how much of an impact that has on e-commerce. Um, and, you know, again, going into it, had no idea, you know, how crucial that is to, to a viable uh, e-commerce business. Got it. That's good. You kind of pivoted the question, which now I think I want to ask going forward because you took it in the route of like, what do you understand now that you didn't understand that you wish you did? So I like that. That's a new question I'm gonna have to add in. <laughs> so if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? Ooh, I would say it would probably be about pop culture in and, and I guess pop culture and entertainment in the 90s. And my first guest would definitely be Conan O'Brien. I think just because I, I, in general, I love talking about you know, pop culture and entertainment in the 90s. And Conan O'Brien was one of, it still is obviously one of my favorite like late night hosts. And uh, his podcast has been you know, one of my favorites. It's been a, a good one to, to, to have a, a, a hefty playlist for his podcast episodes to, to get through uh, uh, the past few months. That's a good one. All right. And then the last one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? Biggest thing I think will be 
I guess technology at the end of the day, but then also just again how consumers are you know changing their consumer their, their shopping behavior. So um, I, I, I I've said this in in other kind of forums, but. Previously, I, I, my biggest expectation is that uh, integrating technology into the, the kitchen and the pantry, uh, again, speaking more on, on food and beverage since that's been my, my space, my territory, mm-hmm. I think that really seems like the opportunity where you want, especially if consumers are shifting more to uh, e-com and, and digital uh, delivery, having that be less of a top of mind thing, I think, and, and you know, making it more efficient and removing you know, any legwork on the consumer side will, will be beneficial in the long run. So whether that's like scales that you're placing products on so that uh, your, your subscription knows you know, when you're almost out of your, your coffee and you need a refill um, or anticipating based on your purchase behaviors, I think that, that is, is probably the next trend, especially on the consumable side, you know, that, that's, again, just going to remove uh, pain points in consumers' journals, especially when you're getting it delivered to home. That's really the biggest one at the end of the day. Oh, I like that. That is a really good, unique answer that we have not had so far. So oh, great. <laughs> I, I like it. All right, Calvin. Well, this has been very fun. Thanks for coming on and sharing all your e-commerce knowledge. Where can people learn more about you and HealthAid? Yeah, you can find me on uh, on LinkedIn, Kelvin Lammers. Uh, and uh, if you want to check out uh, more about HealthAid and then read some more about that education uh, content that I mentioned, uh, you can go to uh, healthaid.com. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.